Good afternoon and welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming live at WBAI.org. This is a weekly show where we focus on the issues dominating discussion in the city and state and also across the country. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and I'm joined by the effervescent, wonderful co-host, the ginger to my Marianne, Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, how are you doing today? Very touched, actually. Very touched by that that kind, kind introduction. Thank you, Jeff. So, uh, you know, I always love to catch up with you at the start of the show to see what news story you're obsessed about to see if it kind of matches what I've been following as well. What's been on your mind today? What have you been following? I definitely have been looking at what's going to happen with the CDC. I think that is a really big deal. I think that, uh, frankly, it seems like it makes a lot of sense to me. The fact that they're saying, look, we shouldn't be so sort of academic and inward focused if the job of the agency is to help people stay alive and stay healthy. you know, focusing on that, getting information out to people, having a more practical approach uh, it seems like a really good idea to me, Jeff. I don't know. What, what do you think? <laughs> Oh, I, I completely agree. I mean, think about what just happened this week with the head of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, essentially conceding her agency mishandled the COVID pandemic. And right now we're in the middle of the monkeypox. I don't think we're calling it, if I'm correct, we're not calling it a pandemic or an epidemic at this point. We're, we're saying it's a, it's a health emergency. But basically think about what took place during COVID and CDC's and essentially admitting it failed to respond quickly enough, Celeste. Yeah, I just think that's a really big deal. I think that, pardon me. Um, sorry, I just need a second there. Uh, I, you know, you always I, get I, choked up when you speak with I me. I do. Yes, you know what? It's just my my heart just uh, <laughs> melts every time I I hear your your dulcet tones, Jeff. But seriously, I mean, I think it makes sense. You know, we've seen so much about did we learn think. Think about all the things that we've learned, all the things that we found out during this years and years of dealing with COVID-19. I mean, I can't believe how far out we are in this thing already. But, you know, now we're going to sort of live with it indefinitely. But this seems like it would be a really good idea to take stock, take a moment and say, like, what can we learn from this? Not just uh, in application to monkeypox, but in application to a lot of things that are going on. So, I mean, I think just taking a step back there uh, is really important. Then, of course, Jeff also been looking at all the stuff that's going on with uh, the former president between uh, the CFO of the Trump organization to what's been happening in the wake of the uh, execution of the search warrant at his uh, Florida estate Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, and that's been incredibly interesting to see the the judges uh uh, ruling today, ordering the government to send, uh, uh, let's see, to, to uh, let me get this right. Basically, the judge ruled that the affidavit that led to the search warrant can be released, but that there's a week now for them to get this over to the judge so the judge can review this and then determine if it can be released. Obviously, federal officials don't want to release the full thing. Media outlets have have lobbied for this. Uh, so we'll see what takes place next week and how much more can be revealed. A lot going on in the news with our former president today. I'm sure you also followed, and we're going to get in about a minute or two to our first guest, but I'm sure you also followed what took place with one of Donald Trump's uh, most trusted executives today pleading guilty to 15 felonies. And what will this mean 
by the way, as far as any uh, court hearing that's going to take place later this year in October, if he's going to be a witness, I mean, he's expected to testify about his role in a scheme to avoid paying taxes on lavish corporate perks. But uh, sources apparently told the New York Times that this man, Alan Weisselberg, will not be implicating the former president or his family if he does take the stand in that court hearing later on this year, Celeste. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've been following is all this fallout from, uh, you know, these continuing cases, these continuing legal battles uh, facing Donald Trump, Trump organization, uh, his allies, uh, certainly what's been going on at Mar-a-Lago regarding the removal of sensitive documents. Uh, really interesting piece I saw in The Washington Post that made me think, you know, he is unsurprisingly, he's raised a lot of money off of this, sort of framing himself as being the victim of this political persecution and so on. And it's certainly interesting to see what, you know, how he's going to parlay all this into his political future. Uh, I'm sure he's not shedding too many tears over the uh, the uh, end of this chapter in Congress for Liz Cheney, uh, you know, certainly been a, a prominent figure in the January 6th inquisitions and so on. But, um, you know, the fact is, there is a lot of money going around and all of this is going to have some influence on the midterms, Jeff. You raised some very good points. So we're going to get to our first guest, but I just want to remind you, uh, our listeners, to stay with us this full hour. In the second half, we're going to have, uh, or coming up in about maybe 20 minutes, we're going to have Herson Barrero. He's been on our show before. He's fantastic. We're going to go through a lot of these congressional races that are going on, which are the ones to watch. Because remember, if you live in New York City, if you live in New York State, primary day is this coming Tuesday. We're in the middle of early voting right now. We'll remind you later on in the show where you can go if you're not sure where you should vote. But let us get to our first guest. Uh, recently, Amy Lopez announced that she's going to step down as executive director of the New York City Campaign Finance Board this October. She was appointed back in September 2006, the second person to hold that title of CFB's executive director. But her career with the CFB began 22 years ago. She previously held a number of key positions in the organization, including assistant executive director, director of campaign finance administration, uh, deputy general counsel, chief of the candidate services unit. Her CFB tenure spans eight citywide elections, the last four, of course, as executive director. She has been with us before in WBAI, but we wanted to have her back today to discuss the reforms that have taken place during her tenure, but also what she feels still needs to be done to improve campaign finance. Amy Lopress, it is a pleasure to have you back with us here on Driving Forces. Welcome. Uh, I'm glad to be here, Jeff. Only a few months before you depart the CFB. Why now? Why make this decision to leave this year? Well, so that just so your listeners, you know, to give you some context, let me just tell you a little bit about what the Campaign Finance Board uh, does so that they have a little context of what we're doing. Is you know, basically what the Campaign Finance Board does is help New Yorkers participate in elections, and we do that um, in two primary ways. We, through our NYC Votes voter engagement campaign, we provide information and resources to help city voters know where, when, and how to vote, just like you were just talking about, um, for the congressional races that are coming up on Tuesday. Um, we publish a voter guide for every election. We host televised debates for the races of mayor, controller, and public advocate. We work directly in, in communi- communities that are underrepresented in city elections, trying to get 
help them uh, get the information and resources they need to uh, participate in city elections. And um, probably what we'll be spending most of our time talking about today is we run the city's landmark public matching funds program, which eliminates barriers for New Yorkers who want to run for office and reduces the corrupting influence of money in politics. So very simply, uh, the way the program works is candidates can receive $8 in public matching funds for each dollar that they contribute that is contributed to their campaign by city residents. So a $10 contribution is worth $90 to a candidate. And so to answer your question about why I'm leaving now is our work is cyclical. You know, we work in election cycles, and this is the logical end to the 2021 election cycle. Um, of course, we have elections coming, city elections coming up in 2023 for the redistricted city council and in 2025 for all city offices. But we expect those office, those elections to be a little less active than 2021, certainly um, because there will be fewer open seats. But um, it's a natural time to leave the agency because it's transitioning to plan for the next very big election, which will happen in 2029 when all citywide offices are um, open, have no incumbents, and um, much of the city council will have no incumbents running. And I'm just going to ask you, uh, I can hear you clearly, or engineer, just let me know if you could just speak up just a little. That would be wonderful, Amy. Um, when you look back on your time with the CFB, what would you say was your biggest achievement? Well, you know, I just mentioned 2021 was a tremendous election in many different ways. Um, you know, of course, in 2021, the city had ranked choice voting for the first time, and the CFB was responsible for an education program teaching voters about ranked choice voting. Um, and that's only one of the things that was unprecedented about 2021, of course, was the global pandemic. But there were huge changes in the matching funds program. Um, we witnessed an enormous increase in the number of candidates, um, which probably both ranked choice voting and the pandemic might have had a role in that. Um, but we, you know, we really did have a lot more candidates running for office. We paid 308 candidates in public funds. We paid out more than $126 million in public funds in the 2021 election, both of which are records. Um, we had a record number of contributions given by city residents. Um, and, you know, all that adds up to more candidates, more uh, races, gives more choices for New York City voters on the ballot. And so what's gratifying to me is really how New Yorkers use those, cho those choices. Um, we now have a remarkably diverse city government that better represents the diverse communities in our city. Um, we have communities that are re represented in the city council for the very first time, which is always exciting. And one of the big outcomes in 2021 was that women now hold 31 seats in the city council a majority women council for the very first time in our city's history. And, you know, that's up from the last city council where fewer than one in four council seats was held by a woman. So, you know, I'm really proud of the progress that we've made in the matching funds program and the way it has helped more candidates run strong campaigns and would give New Yorkers a city council and a city government that better reflects themselves. 
If you're just joining us, we are speaking to Amy Lopress. She's the executive director of the New York City Campaign Finance Board. And Director Lopress, as you may know, I have been a fan of the work of your agency for a very long time. I've always relied very heavily on your records, your uh, expenditure tracking. I've participated as a panelist in some of the debates that you have uh, co-sponsored with various uh, media outlets. So I want to appreciate, uh, take a moment to say that I appreciate the work that you've been doing. Um, I've always been fascinated since I've been covering politics in New York City by the matching program. Uh, on the one hand, as you say, it lets a lot of people, uh, you know, enter the space, have a chance to compete that might not otherwise. But at the same time, certainly have covered a number of elections where you have, uh, you know, I'm not, I, do I have to name any names, but it starts with Bloom and ends with Berg. You know, you have these people who come in and just have the capacity to spend huge amounts of money. And, and you know, no matter how much the city, um, the New York City Campaign Finance Board tries to level the playing field, there are people uh, who can just spend essentially without limits. I was wondering, do you ever see in the future a time when there will be um, more restrictions on people who want to opt out of the system? Or is that with us to stay? And and what are your thoughts on people being able to opt out? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, there's two kind of factors there. I mean, of course, there are, you know, people who can self-fund their election and, you know, and, and have uh, enormous access to resources and the you know, Supreme Court has said that, you know, there can't be restrictions on how much someone spends on their own campaign. Um, and the same, you know, similar to that are the rise of super PACs, which, you know, is disheartening. I mean, it's a lot of money um, that super PACs and other outside groups spend on elections. And the Supreme Court has said, and in, other, in Citizens United and other cases like that, that we can't have limits. But one thing that we can do and that we have done in New York City um, is put strong disclosure requirements in place. So, uh, you know, again, in New York City, we have some of the strongest disclosure requirements in the country, um, some of the best tools to allow you in the press and the public access those disclosures. Um, so, you know, while it doesn't stop that money from flowing in, it does ensure that the ads and the money coming from those groups are exposed to the light of day. And what's even more important is that, you know, we the public matching funds program does provide money to candidates who aren't the type that have these access to this these large outside sources of money. And it gets gives them the opportunity to get their message out. So, you know, while you're face maybe facing a person who has a lot of their own personal wealth to spend or you're spent facing a independent spending group our super PAC, you have with the public financing program the real resources to be able to communicate to the voters and uh, in, and produce your own your own campaign. Um, what it also does, you know, is again part of the reason for the matching funds program and the reason why the candidates rely on it. So is that it ensures that the candidates are funded by the people they want to represent. You know, so. Um, Throughout the post-Citizens United era, when money, you know, has been flowing into elections all over, you know, our strong disclosure system and our uh, robust public financing system really is working to ensure that big money doesn't dominate the election. Um, another, you know, big way of progress is since I took over, 
um, in 2006, you know, after Citizens United, there was, um, you know, there was so much money coming into the elections. And, I mean, I think Bloomberg, not the media organization, not the person, um, <laughs> to be clear, reported last <laughs> week that, you know, we're on track to have spend $9 billion in the uh, 2022 midterms, you know, which is a record for midterms as a record for any election. It was more than the presidential election. And so, um, you know, again, what's good is that, you know, there's been a lot of progress in funding local and state elections in more equitable ways. Um, you know, when I first took over at the Campaign Finance Board in 2006, people were really talking about copying our program. But since Citizens United, um, there have been programs implemented in local governments from Washington, D.C. to Denver to Seattle that are programs that are look sort of like ours that put the power to fund campaigns into the hands of actual people. And, you know, now there are more models for real reform and hopefully there's a lot more energy for change than there was 16 years ago. So, you know, while there's always going to be some of these high-spending you know, self-funders or these independent PACs, I think there's real reason for hope that, you know, we can, with a serious effort, we can really give voters what they want, which are the to elect leaders who reflect themselves and the values and the diversity of their communities. And in terms of, of your approaching retirement, when you, you've accomplished a lot, a lot of things have really, really changed since 2006. But as you think about wrapping up your time at the CFB, is there stuff that you wish you could have uh, gotten to to spend more time on? Are there things that you would hope that your predecessor will pick up and sort of, you know, carry across the finish line? You know, I mean, there are some things. I mean, I guess, you know, we've done a lot and there's been, uh, you know, you know, we've done some really big things. And so one thing I really, you know, hope, you know, that the, in the future will be is that to bridge some of the work that our agency does on voter access and participation with the matching funds program. You know, we'd like to do more to help the public connect our NYC Votes campaign, you know, which is our public outreach about voting with helping candidates run for city office using matching funds. Um, you know, we've found in some of our research that few New Yorkers know about the Campaign Finance Board. More of them recognize or know about our NYC Votes campaign and that brand because they've seen those ads, they read the voter guide, they've watched one of the debates. Um, but we really, you know, have tr struggled and we work harder to connect them with voter participation and the public financing program. and. So, which also connects with a real specific goal of mine, which is to get more New Yorkers involved as contributors in, you know, again, these, we match these small dollar contributions. It would be great to have, um, you know, we've made a lot of progress bringing candidates into the election, but it would be great to um, get more citizens involved as contributors. So, in 2021, we had a record number of individual contributors, which is great news, um, but it's still only 5% of the city's population. Um, and so, you know, one goal is to get more people to support candidates through small contributions. And, you know, that gives them some skin in the election and also hopefully will drive uh, better voter turnout, which has, you know, always been not great in New York City. 
And I know we only have about another minute or two left. I mean, this is a, a, a broader question, uh, but I'm just curious, you know, as you're departing, are there specific, are you seeing across the country, are you seeing trends in campaign finance that are encouraging to you or are they disappointing? Are you worried that across the country we're going to see a scaling back and allow more of these, you know, super PACs, for instance, to be able to support campaigns? Just curious nationally, as you depart right now, what the portrait is. I mean, I think, you know, it's a complicated question. And I think that, um, you know, clearly on the, in the federal level, you know, money in politics is, remains a problem. I mean, as I said, you know, the, the amount of money that candidates have to raise, that, you know, the, uh, you know, Senate and, uh, you know, congressional candidates, you know, congressional uh, House of Representative candidates are raising nine over $9,000 a day. Senate candidates have to raise over $19,000 a day. You know, if they're raising that kind of money, you know, they're not going to have much time to do anything else. So, I mean, I really think that that is, um, you know, that's, that's a, that is a big problem. And, you know, again, you know, these super, you know, they're raising that money to contract these super PACs that are, you know, raising money at an even faster rate. But I do think that, as I said, you know, I think there has been a real lot of progress in creating these kind of small dollar matching funds programs at local and state level across the country. Um, really, and that's the big hope, you know, it's like, again, that those, those small contribution programs really give voters a real say in the election that the voters are electing the people to who are representing them, not just big moneyed interest. You know, that the voters see in the people they elect their own values and their own community. And we might as well ask, you know, I was going to ask what comes next for you, but given everything you've learned and experienced, might you ever run for office? No, I don't think so. I think I, you know, I mean, I hopefully I have spent, you know, this time well serving the uh, citizens of New York, you know, in improving their democracy, uh, you know, through the campaign finance board. I, I don't see myself serving them in a more direct way as running for office. Uh, Amy Loprest is the executive director of the New York City Campaign Finance Board. So where can people find out more about your work and keep track of you after you move on to your next adventure? Well, um, you know, they can follow me on Twitter, which is just my name, Amy Loprest. Uh, and, um, but I, uh, you can learn about the Campaign Finance Board at our website, which is uh, nyccfb.info or to learn about our voting initiatives uh, and to actually see the voter guide for the congressional and state Senate races that are going on right now. You can look at our voter-facing website at nycvotes.org. Amy Lopress, thank you so much for joining us today here on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff and Celeste. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And Jeff, I 
did not say that just to, you know, take up space in the radio world. I really, really have to say that as a reporter, I relied very heavily on NYCCFB.info, the New York City Campaign Finance Board's uh, record tracking is excellent. You could follow donation, who's giving, who's spending, who's running, where's it all going, where's it all coming from, really, really useful stuff. And of course, their work at uh, NYC, um, NYC Votes, getting people involved. And uh, Amy Lopress was right. You know, for a city this big and this complicated and this interested in politics, more people could turn out to vote. So definitely worth taking a look, Jeff. Yeah. And it's also good, Celeste, as you've pointed out in the past to me, if you're like checking out potential boyfriends, Celeste, you can check to see who they've donated to if they're aligned with you politically. Well, that's how I got involved with it in the first place. I said, (laughs) let me just type this in really quick. Jeff, Simmons. (laughs) Speaking of money, of course, this is probably a good time to remind you that WBAI relies on your support to keep uh, this program and all of our other programs on the air. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, which means your donation is tax deductible. You can go to WBAI.org and give to this program. As a BAI buddy, uh, make a recurring monthly donation uh, for just $25, I believe, makes you a member of the station, which means you can participate in important votes votes and decisions that decide the future of this station. Jeff, you are a BAI buddy, am I right? I am a BAI buddy. It's a, It just goes right on my credit card. I mean, look, I do check my credit card bills every month, but I have to tell you, I'm actually, actually very happy every time I see that I've made another BAI donation. And frankly, do it in the name of this show if you can, if you like this show or any show on WBAI that means something to you and has meant something to you for some time. Show us that support. It would be fantastic if you could help us out. Remember, our rent for the Radio Tower um, you know, be able to transmit $17,000 a month. So just think of that. If that was the rent you had to pay, we need your support as much as possible. Absolutely. Go to WBAI.org to give. You can give as a BAI buddy or you can give to support the Tower Fund. So, uh, Jeff, you know, obviously, I, as you've mentioned before, primary day coming up, only a few more days left to vote early. Uh, if you've been following the news here in the city, lots of competitive races that have really heated up. Uh, one of them, we've, we've focused on a couple of them, but I think the one that we've really focused on the most on this program probably is uh, New York 10 which spans parts of uh, Brooklyn and Manhattan of course uh, New York 12 the new the new New York 12 which is the the big race there where you have uh, two incumbents long time very familiar uh, names Jerry Nadler Carolyn Maloney now having to go up against each other uh, I think Jeff we've tried to have them on the program but uh, despite our best efforts no dice right yeah, I will say, I mean, we'll, we've had Carolyn Maloney on a number of times. We have repeatedly yes. also reached out to uh, Gerald Nadler's uh, people, but they just, I mean, and our colleague Ben Max has told us the same thing about his show. They're just not getting back to put him on the show. And that says something to us. That's why often you don't hear certain voices like, say, Nicole Maliotakis. We've reached out a number of times in her race. She has not gotten back. Max Rose has, and we've had him on, Celeste. 
Absolutely. And, you know, so we just wanted to make sure not to we're, we're not here to sort of scold anybody or or to, to wave a flag about it. But we do want you to know that behind the scenes, we do our best to try to get people on the air so you can hear from them directly uh, and, you know, even potentially ask them questions. We've had some candidates come on this program and agree to take your calls. So we just want you to know that that is out there. But I think right now we're going to move on to our next guest. And I'm very excited about this, Jeff. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's a great segue and you'll introduce him. But, you know, when you mentioned that about having some of the political candidates take listener calls, one of them is very, uh, uh, very well known to our next guest because he used to do a show <laughs> on New York One with him weekly where they would spar. So, and that way I'm talking about Curtis Sliwa, who took our listener calls. Yeah, absolutely. But today we're going to be welcoming back to the program somebody who we've had a really good time with on the air before. I'm sure that you're going to have a good time with us, too. Of course, I'm talking about Herson Barrero. He is a seasoned journalist whose perspectives on society and politics have been forged from childhood experience in his native Puerto Rico and over 60 years spent right here in New York City. He's been, as we mentioned, a political commentator for Spectrum One, a Spectrum News New York One. Uh, he's worked at New York at City and State New York an editor at large. Uh, he was a founding co-host of the New York Slant Network podcast. Uh, he's covered lots and lots of Democratic and Republican presidential conve uh, conventions for uh, the Hispanic Information and Telecommunications Network. That was a mouthful. Uh, has been a columnist for El Diario La Prensa. Uh, he's been a radio broadcaster, always insightful, never holds back. Without further ado, Herson Barrera, welcome back to Driving Forces. Wow, I'm so impressed by the introduction that I just want to listen to myself. How are you, Philip? How are you, Jeff? Reggie, what's up, brother? I'm glad you still have my number. I hear you. So definitely. So let's let's get into it, because I genuinely, genuinely want to hear what you have. So we mentioned we've been talking about New York 10. This is the new New York 10. There is a huge number of people running in this district. Uh, Dan Goldman has been up. Uh, Carlina Rivera has been up. Yuli New has been doing well. You know, what do you see happening in this race? By the way, before I, I start, I just want yeah. to say that Amy Lopez, I, I really hope that she be considered retirement. Uh, there are good people in this city, Nueva York, that, that really, ex their experience and the, the objectivity and the way they handle their professional career and service to New Yorkinos is going to be missed. So, Amy, I know you want to retire, but retirement is like, you know, kind of boring for some people. Uh, and I got to tell you, I'm born on 72, November 20th, and I ain't retiring. You know when I retire? When nobody calls me anymore. And that's when I'm done with it. So I see Reggie smiling right now because he's saying, look at him. But anyway, so, so I'm looking at this race, and I'm looking at what it is the New Yorkers are facing. The fact, let, let's begin at, at the beginning, which is natural to do. If we had a more competent legislature uh, with a majority of Democrats who had not screwed up, the lines that they drew in, 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 the, in the manner in which they did it because they just didn't follow procedure. And I think it's important to let and Jeff, for people to put in context why we received this, why these lines were drawn, why there was a magistrate who actually is Republican. You can't blame them to when Democrats, foolish Democrats, make the mistake in procedural ways to come back and then give them a win. So look, this mess goes back to a dominance of Democrats at the New York State Legislature. Having put that to the side, it is what it is. So we got to deal with it. In New York's 10th 
congressional districts, in most parties in Brooklyn, with a small portion in Manhattan. I just don't understand. I can see people who live there. I can see people who actually have an interest, who know, who have been to a project, who actually, you know, in the housing development, NYCHA, so many people in trouble uh, that understands the school system, that their children go to the school system. So I don't understand, first of all, the way that the campaign financing board has worked and financing of campaigns work in New York is excellent, except that we get a guy who can dump $4 million of his own money to try to buy the seat. I hope that there is infinite wisdom or stupidity. The new voters of the 10th Congressional District can see the difference, can see through that, and actually, you know, like from the other folks. Mondier Jones, I got to tell you, I don't know what he's doing in that district either. And I know that he has qualifications. You know, the, the insult to voters when he says that, uh, you know, I'm running for re-election. You fool, you must say these people to be stupid, and they're not. So I think that those two people, I would exclude them. I found Liz Holzman to a surprise, but she saw an opportunity, and there's a person with credentials. I also see there are qualified, intelligent, well-deserved women who, who need a shot at this. And yet, you know, these two guys are obscuring them and, and their fight. And then you got the criminal-in-chief throwing in his stupidity to be able to get us the attention away from Rudy Giuliani and, and the guy who was running his numbers at his a private enterprise, Trump, the Trump Organization, who's going to jail today. I mean, the dude is going to be in prison. So all of these things, Celeste and, 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 and Jeff, I just think that people have to make a determination to exclude people if they have not yet voted in early voting or absentee ballots, that you've got five days to make a decision. If you wait till Tuesday and you that, just select a person from the barrio, from the hood, from the actually that lived in the district. Don't go for either one of these. I don't have an appreciation for Monday Jones, and I don't like the fact that Dan Goldman is a ricachon. Uh, Jeff knows what the ricachon means. It's, it's a rich boy who thinks he, you know, he's a, a sense of entitlement. So I think that the people of the 10th Congressional District should choose wisely and choose a person that they know who is already serving them in a capacity that they feel may not be perfect, but that mm -hmm. they stand a chance to be better. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And we're talking with political commentator, Herson Barrero. We'll take your calls shortly. And just write down this number. Don't call it yet. 212-209-2877. I want to jump in with one thing, you know, just to get your insight on this, because I'm wondering what this announcement is. I saw that someone had tweeted within the last few hours that there'll be a uh, a joint announcement or something with Liz Holtzman, who you mentioned, and one of the other candidates, Carlina Rivera, tomorrow. Any insight into what that could be? Do you think that this might be either them attacking another candidate or it might be one where Liz Holtzman, who is down in the polls, might be throwing her support behind Carlina, who is up in the polls? For the past uh, 12, 15 days, there's been a lot of buzz. Bochinche, as I call it. What I call Bochinche is news that is not news yet. Uh, but it is uh, happening, but it's not. it doesn't become official until it's confirmed by the party. So the bochinche, if you want to use the word buzz, is okay. But the, it's been that certain camps are talking to others and people talking that are close to candidates who have, in the minds of these known experts that actually have run campaigns for years, they feel that there are certain candidates that have not, don't stand a chance of winning, despite their you know, great qualifications. 
I hear that those conversations have been going on, and I'm not going to mention the candidates, but there are at least four of them that they've been conversations with. Um, I think there may be something, a surprise tomorrow. At this point, at this hour, at this very moment, I do not have information to say that that's what's going to happen. I do know that both of these women are serious. Liz Holzman needs not Kirsten Borrero or anyone else to verify the seriousness of her commitment to public service and what she did while she was in Congress, uh, representing us in an honorable way. We need more of, of those people. And then Carlina Rivera is a young person, a young woman, who actually understands that there are people that have been in the game for a long time and has respect for all the folks because we all get viejo. I'm a viejo. You are younger than I am. Reggie, I don't know what, how old he is, but, you know, it's a matter if you live long enough, you're gonna, if you wake up in the morning and you're able to breathe, and you're not one of the million people that die on a daily basis. Did you folks know that? There are one million people that will go to sleep tonight that will not wake up tomorrow. That's every day in the world. I'm talking worldwide. A million people die every every day. So we have late. But, you know, we'll probably have another five million before. So the point is, in all seriousness, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, what they're going to announce, but I am sure because of the seriousness and, and, and conduct of these two women, they will, in fact, have something serious, not just some fluff thing to say. It'll be significant. Is it a matter of crossing? I don't know. I really don't know. But it'll be serious because these are these are serious, uh, two, two very serious New Yorkinas, and, and I trust that they're not going to just convene the press for some silliness or foolishness. Uh, I, I, you know, if you don't if you don't say anything, I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> well, actually, no, I want to ask you a question. And if you're just joining us, we are speaking to Herson Barrera here on Driving Forces, a uh, political commentator, journalist, man who has opinions. We like that um, movie. Uh, we want to jump over to uh, the other thing that we've been watching here. Of course, that's New York 12, this sort of clash of the titans or whatever you want to call it. Carolyn Maloney versus Jerry Nadler. Big deal. You know, big contest there. W- where do you see that going? There is a spoiler in that race, potentially. Uh, Siraj Patel, uh, somebody who has sort of put himself out there as a younger generation, a paradigm shift, some new blood there. What do you see in that race? Because that's a big one. It is huge. I think that it is huge. And it, it, it's two titans, two people who have served New York City, New York State, have served the nation in, in I think, in an honorable way, both of them. Uh, there are, you know, I don't see them, I see them as, as, you know, be respected because of the service, their commitment, they're both hard workers. Uh, I do see, I happen to know Carolyn Maloney for a long time. She was from El Barrio. She was called La Rubia del Barrio. She was able to be thrown in the city council uh, race. Robert Rodriguez, who was the council member then, Puerto Rican, and he is the, was the father uh, or is the father of the current um, state, the Secretary of State of New York State, Robert Rodriguez Jr., who was appointed recently by the new governor, Kathy Hochul. So the connection is that. So what I'm going is to Carolyn Maloney. I know of her record better because she started at a level that had to deal with me in terms of my community as a Puerto Rican, even though I did not even live in El Barrio. Uh, she, we used to call her the Blanco del Barrio, La Rubia del Barrio. So there's a, a commonality there. She understands people. She's a woman who has worked all, you know, really hard. Uh, she was the first woman to actually, and I'm not doing her point, it's just that I know uh, her daughter is, uh, one of her daughters is, is a 
younger daughter is a friend of my daughter. They went to Princeton together. Um, and so there's some knowledge. But I do know Jerry Nadler also. He gave me the best background on a, uh, on a Costello ride from Washington, D.C. into New York. At the time, I was with City and State, NHITN, which, I was, which I'm still there. And he gave me the best insight, a 45-minute briefing off the record as to why Nancy Pelosi would be the next speaker when everybody thought they were making arrangements for her political funeral. And he was spot on. So you're not talking about two light people in terms of their power. and their No, power. not at all. But there could, at been, the end of the day, right, that's why we have an election. There can only be one, right? Right. And, 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 it's, a, and it's bad. And it's, it's, again, I go back to remember, this is all the Demo- it's Democrats doing it to themselves because of the way they divided these lines up and they have to go back to court. Having said that, I think that this is not over. I think that you mentioned the other person, a young man, Patel, who may have competition. Yeah, Siraj Patel. I I said so. Siraj Patel. Senor Patel is in Pampers, as far as I'm concerned, and actually um, soiling them continuously because instead of making a case for what that teacher means, what to being a young person in this climate is, he keeps referring to them, you know, oh, these are viejos, these are old folks, you know, and, and I begin... I'm not as I'm not 75 yet, but I'm I'm gonna be 72, like I said in November. It's insulting. Who the hell are you? You are practically, I'm, like I said, you're soiling the diaper that is public because you have maybe a future in politics. But like this, what has he done? He hasn't even been out in 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 trying to avoid rat infestation in New York. He's done zero nada in between running for Carolyn Maloney and calling her an old bag, an old lady, a vieja. And it's insulting because in politics, especially in, in Congress, seniority does count. So I, I and, and, and I said this and I saw Jeff an email. I'm a, I'm gonna put your stuff out there. Jeff is telling me when am I gonna announce my candidate because I said something in the segment last night at New York One that I said that I could probably debate Saraj Patel and beat him and I'm not even running for anything. So this is a, a you know, a, a young young people should step up but at least have some respect for those that have done something. All you've done is talk. So I discard him. I don't think people, the voters in their infinite wisdom are not listening to him. They have two excellent selections, two people to select from, and they'll do it. Who's going to win? I have no idea. There's no internal polling that I see uh, or that I've known uh, publicly that gives either. They're both working very hard. Carolyn Maloney has not lost an election in her lifetime, and yet, Jerry Nadler did. Most people don't remember that he lost to David Dinkins in a particular race. But that's, you know, history. Having said that, I have no idea. It's an exciting race. Um, I think that I, I, I just want to say something in terms of endorsements and what people see. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up on a buddy of mine, Chuck Schumer. I have no idea why he endorsed Jerry Nadler. I think it was inappropriate. I love Chuck. I just, it's one of the few politicians that I really give. Uh, I, I just applaud the way he has committed over 40 years to working hard. And he works hard and he keeps at it. And it's everything he says is the real deal. But I was so disappointed. And yet Chuck Schumer uh, didn't endorse in the 10th or hasn't endorsed yet. And I found that, that for him to go, mm-hmm. and especially when the New York Times, on the heels of the New York Times endorsing three blancos, three white men, um, it, it, it was like insulting to women. It was sexist, just like the New York Times endorsement was. Uh, and, and, you know, I have a lot of problems with a lot of things. Uh, that in particular uh, annoys me because the New York Times is just, you know, uh, I, 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 an ivory tower 
still controlled by uh, a certain family and really dealing. They say that they're adding people in their editorial boards, but then they override them. I'll leave it at that because I don't want to get anybody into trouble on the editorial board. Yeah, you do. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good radio. No, but seriously, let me ask you, actually, this is sort of an aside from talking about these specific races, but you've been around in newspapers and around newspapers a long time, just like I have, just like Jeff has. Do you think newspaper endorsements matter anymore? There's so many ways people no. can get news. Does it matter? No, no, no. And it doesn't or you don't want it to? The New York, no, 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 no. So I was on an editorial board. I was actually editor-in-chief of El Diario La Prensa at the time, really powerful, for 41 months. As editor-in-chief, I was part of the executive committee. I was part of the three people that actually made the decision. I can tell you uh, that we didn't always agree, and we actually didn't support. We we had to reach consensus, and sometimes they wait. You know, we, we just did things the right. For example, because of his arrogance, we wound up endorsing Mike Bloomberg instead of Mark Green. Who would have thought that of the Spanish paper? Because we just felt that in that race, Mark Green took us for granted. So we did something to slap him down, smack him down. So, you know, it, it, we don't do these things for the right reason in terms of endorsements. I never believed in them. Even then, when I was making decisions, it was just part of what the paper needed to do to give some guidance. We thought to our um, readers, I, I just think that it's an insult, Celeste and Jeff, and, and all of your listeners, to think that somehow a paper can tell somebody that lives or sees the, the, in, in the district or knows the candidate how they should vote because of X, Y, and reason. And it looked like they were part, if you read the thing for Dan Goldman, the endorsement, without saying that their families are friends, that they're buddies. Uh, the, the Salzburgers and, 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 and the Goldmans. I, I just think that that is so insulting to their readers, disrespectful. By the way, I'm a New York Times subscriber because I want to support good journalism. Uh, I've already paid my subscription, but I'm not renewing it. When it's due next time, I'm not, I already checked into it. I'm, I'm just not going to renew it. I'm sickened by them. Uh, they're, they're, they're holier than thou, and they're just as bummy as the New York Post and Rupert Murdoch. So, Herson, uh, you know, you just said that you're you're sick of that. Uh, my next question is kind of leading into something else that I'm sure you're going to say you find sickening. I'm very curious what your reaction is, and uh, for our listeners, uh, if you uh, we can elaborate on this, or Herson will, uh, on former President Trump weighing in with several uh, mock endorsements in the last yeah. 24 hours yeah. about some of the candidates in New York 10 and New York 12. I mean, why yeah. do you think he did this? What impact do you think that's going to have, if any? Oh, my any? God. Oh, my God, Jeff. You, I really didn't do this to me. You might have, I think I need to pass it. I think I'm going to throw up. Listen, I, how could we even take this criminal? He's a criminal. He's a loser. He is a conniver. He is a con man. He is taking, he's doing this right now. It's like a million dollars a day with the thing. The only thing that he did last night, because he does have a sense of humor when it's for him, when he makes other, when he thinks he's got to play the game. So he did that. First of all, he endorses them both because he hates them both. He was a constituent of Carolyn Maloney when he lived here because of her district fell into, you know, the Trump Tower. I just think it was sickening for us. I, Last night I said it, and, and when we got into the segment, that's the first topic we're going to discuss. But since you're asking me, 
and I love you, and I love Celeste, and I love WBAI, and Reggie wants to hear from me right now, I think it's the silliest thing to be listening to that loser clown criminal in anything he says. He could come, if I'm dying, and he, I'm a Catholic by birth, he gives me the last rites, he's coming along, I say, I'll go to hell, leave me alone. Cloaca. A cloaca is a sewer, for those of you who don't understand Spanish. So how can you even ask me about that, that whatever intent he has, it's a sickening one. It's something that was, he doesn't do anything that will not help him. He'll let an old man that used to count his money go to jail. He doesn't want to do jail time. It's like Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani right now is just trying to save his ass from going to prison because he's turning to another. I mean, it's worse than, it's worse than being a criminal. When you become a stooge to a criminal and he cons you, I hear that Donald Trump hasn't paid the full bill for Rudy Giuliani, and he's still going around like a laptop. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. And, and by the way, person, point. Yeah, yes. I'm glad you brought up Rudy Giuliani because in a few weeks we're going to be having uh, on this show – uh, a friend of ours, uh, who you know well to Andrew Kurtzman, because he has a book coming out in just a few weeks on Rudy Giuliani. I'm curious, she'll be first online to read that book because you want to soak up as much information as you can get and insight into the mind of Rudy I Giuliani. I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry for Andrew Kurtzman. I'm sorry for Andrew Kurtzman. I will not read the book. I will, I'm not interested in anything that he has to say in terms of Rudy Giuliani. And he is a scoundrel. I used to call him El Pinochet of City Hall. I hope that Andrew sells a lot of books of people that will buy about. This is another comment. This is a person who has disgraced himself. This is a guy who actually wanted. That people got to remember that what happened. And Andrew Kurtzman was there walking with the mayor as he was trying to save the city. He was actually, you know, you know what he was? He was like, like the ringmaster. And remember, Jeff and Celeste, you're old enough to remember this because you were covering it, that unfortunate event. Rudy became the guy who controlled who could go to ground zero or not. He became so-called American mayor. He's American's con man. He's, he's a fool. He's an old fool at that. And, I, you know, he's got to take care of his personal problems, get paid by Donald Trump. I hope that Andrew is successful. I know that you will give him an extensive interview, hopefully give him the whole hour. I'm not interested in anything except reading his obituary in the New York Times. But you just but but you're letting your subscription lapse, so how will you read it? I will well but it doesn't last for a few months, Celeste. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. I know, but but what can I so I'm answering that you know, I'm at an age and I don't know when people are serious or not. What can I say? Look, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, Andrew Kirchner has invested a lot of time, done great research. He knows Rudy well. He was there from September 11th of 2001, that unfortunate day. He knows the story. He knows Rudy. He'll be able to tell a good story. I'm sure that you can read it. Spend your money on that. But me, not even a penny. Not even if, only if I can use it for bonfire material. So we have uh, Herson Barrero. We just have a few moments before we're going to have to wrap up. And we want to thank you for taking the time. I think we kept you longer than we meant to, but just cannot help it. So speaking of mayors, so we're talking about mayors in the past. What about the mayor right now? Any thoughts on how Eric Adams is, is holding up in that job? You happy with him or, or not too happy or what? Oh, he's swaggering. He feels, he feels he missed the swagger. He ain't doing nothing. That GSD stuff is bull. And I, I, I don't want to curse on, but, you know, 
Eric, you know better than that. You're looking like a fool. I've known Eric for a long time. When he was in, you know, a, a, a cop, a regular cop. He is playing the fool Zarin. He looks silly. I mean, he dresses well. He's got certain swagger, no doubt about it. He's got a beautiful smile, but he ain't doing nothing. He should have never even gotten mayoral control. I'm disappointed in him. He knows it. It isn't that I criticize him. Sometimes he texts me because he, when he doesn't like something I say, which is very seldom most of the time. You know, he knows me from way past, so he knows that I'll call it as it is. He's done a few good things, very few. So I'm disappointed, so Eric. I'm hoping that he strains up. I, I don't like the personnel that he's brought into government. Uh, they're inept, most of them. And and I just I hear that they're, oh, I'll give you something. I will know of two deputy mayors that are leaving before the year is out or at the end of the year. That's so, Hurston, we're going ha- to have to wrap, but I want to go real quickly. Just want um, – we're going to just go through three right now. What your predictions for next week? Prediction in New York Ten: Who's going to win? Ah, boy, Carolina Rivera. Okay, New York Twelve. Carolyn Maloney. And seventeen, if I have it correct, Biagi versus uh, Sean Patrick Maloney. Who wins there? Sean Patrick Maloney. Got it. Herson Barrero, if our listeners want to know more about you and follow you, where can they go? Where should they go? The best place is uh, on Twitter because I post all the time. Everything I read, I'm commenting all the time. Or they can uh, so on Twitter, at Herson Barrero. Or you can watch me every Wednesday in the politics panel. I've been there for now 18, going to 19 years. Or at HITN, if your Spanish is good, on Sunday mornings, 10 to 11, HITN. Look it up on your cable dial. HITN, I do a Studio DC. It's a national pro, uh, a program of policy that focus on a national level, but I just don't talk to politicians, to different communities from California to Chicago to Arizona, Texas. So, de verdad, pero en español, so get a dictionary. And I do interview people. I've had Chuck Schumer on twice, uh, and we do, um, you know, uh, you'll be able to understand that anyway, because we do, uh, I had Governor Pataki last year, who I saw yesterday, by the way, one of the few lasting good Republicans in, in New York State and probably the nation. Herson Barrero, always, always a good time to have you here with us on Driving Forces. We will have you back very soon. Anytime, anytime I'm here. By the way, if I contribute to your show, is that considered like payola that I can't come on again or I can contribute to your show? I can say this is on behalf of Driving Forces. Can I do that and can I still be considered like objective or... Oh, that I'm buying my way on the air. Well, how, how is it? We just we just put out the call for the money. We don't take it and we don't get it. So it's a it's a free country. You want to give to this station? I encourage everybody to give to the station. Everybody. Thank you. Thank okay, you for thank, thank you. you for what you're doing. Thank you for the BAI, Reggie. I love you, brother. You take care of yourself and and just don't didn't lose my disappoint, Herson. <laughs> Never does. Thank you. Herson Barrero here on WBAI. Jeff, I think we have about like 10 seconds. What's coming up on City Watch? This Sunday, 10 in the morning, you want to definitely tune in because David Brand will be hosting City Watch. His guests are City Planning Commissioner Dan Garodnik and also Katie Honan, a reporter with the online outlet The City. Make sure you stay with us right now because you've got the news coming up next with Paul DiRienzo. Uh, just a programming note, Celeste and I will be off next week. We'll, we'll, we will be back the first 
Thursday in September. So make sure to mark the calendars. We'll have some amazing guests as always. We'll probably also do some type of recap also on the results, especially if there's still tight races and we don't know the results yet from next week's primary. I want to thank you all for tuning in today to Driving Forces. And until we see you next time, I want you to have a wonderful week. Have a great day. 